This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman and Superman-related comics. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 20. Justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to squeeze in three comic book issues. We're going to have a very brief discussion of Justice League number four from September 7th, 2016. And then we're going to talk in detail about Action Comics number 963 and New Superman number three, both from September 14th of 2016. Um, and pretty much whenever we have to talk about Justice League, or whenever it comes up in the rotation, I should say, it's gonna be brief, um, at least until we get to, until we get through Dark Knight's Metal, and then we start on the, uh, Snyder and Tinian Justice League series, which I like a whole lot better, but... This, uh, the, the Brian Hitch series is rough reading for me. I'm not enjoying it, but we're just going to talk about the, what's going on with the plot of that particular issue or that particular arc. And then we'll just talk real briefly about what Superman does in them. And from what I can tell, these, this title does not affect the other two books that are mainly about Clark and Lois and John, so that's okay. But I am very excited to talk about Action Comics and New Superman, but before we get into that, I have, as always, some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, I have noticed, since I transitioned the show to a weekly schedule, that I am not coming up with topics for this segment as organically because when I have two weeks between shows, I can just kind of wait for some random thought to pop into my head, usually late at night, or to see something on Twitter, or just something in the news to happen. But if I've only got a few days between episodes, I don't have time to sit around and wait for that to happen. So what you're going to see more often as I do this segment is me taking things from Superman comics that I've read recently and kind of taking some meaning from them or or saying, well, you know, I interpret it this way that has something to do with ethics or responsibility or something like that. And that's going to be the case today. <laughs> now, um, something I've been reading recently for the first time is the era of both the eponymous Superman book and Action Comics following Infinite Crisis. Um, so the latter half of the 2000s. I've read some of the early 2000s previously. I reread it recently. I skimmed a lot of it. I don't particularly like that era. There are some highlights, you know, the, the stuff with the Elite and all that uh, is, is really good. 
but for the most part, not a fan. I am tremendously enjoying the latter half of the 2000s. I especially am liking Jeff Johns and Richard Donner's run on Action Comics, but I am also very much enjoying Kurt Busiek's run on Superman. And I just finished reading his Camelot Falls arc, which takes place, it's the second arc of Superman following Infinite Crisis, the first being up, up, and away. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about the overall plot of that arc, but the basics of it is that the Atlantean sorcerer Arion is trying to get Superman and the other powerful heroes of the world to stop trying to save the planet for reasons. You'd have to go read. If you've read it, you know. If you haven't, I would recommend you go read it. I don't want to spoil the entire plot. But obviously Superman says no. He's not going to be the vanguard of that movement. And so at one point, Arion says, well, enough of this talk. I'm just going to make you do this. And so what Arion does is he tries to use his magic to take over Superman's mind to force him to go kill all the other heroes. No other heroes around, and Superman's under mind control. There's nobody there to try to save the planet. And surprisingly, Superman resists, which is a really cool scene. Basically, he talks about in his internal monologue how John John Jones had taught him some telepathic resistance techniques, which is neat. Um, this is on a side tangent. I like the I like the idea of Superman being able to resist magic. I know it's one of the few things that he is vulnerable. He's not any more vulnerable to it than anybody else is, but it is a vulnerability. But I find it really tedious. Um, I very much agree with Anthony Desiato from uh, the Digging for Kryptonite podcast that Superman stories involving magic, for the most part are not my favorite. I like this one. I like Camelot Falls because the magic isn't the point. The magic is the is the vehicle of the plot. It's not the, the plot itself. I like the idea of Superman being such a, a physical being, so tied to the physical world that he almost grounds magic around him. I think that's in the idea. I don't think it's ever been used. I'd like to see it used, but anyway. So the point is, Superman in the story, he, for like a second, he's under mind control. And then he breaks out of it. But in that second that he's under mind control, it sets off some kind of alert, which calls out this government team. I think it's like Task Force K or Squad K or something like that. It's a Superman takedown squad that is on point in case he ever goes, in case he ever gets mind controlled or or just goes rogue or whatever. And they do a good job of handing Superman his butt for like five minutes. And eventually he kind of overpowers them and then takes off. And then even as he takes off, the Justice League shows up and they're like, they tell Superman, you need to stand down. And he has to have a long conversation with them to convince them that he's not mind controlled and he hasn't gone rogue. And they go, okay, fine, very reluctantly. Now, what happens after that is some introspection on Superman's part, where he is thinking about how he totally understands in a logical way why the government did what it had to do and the Justice League did what it had to do. It totally makes sense that with someone as powerful as Superman, 
that there needs to be a contingency in case bad stuff happens. It's something Batman's done forever. Um, but you know, when, when the government that he, uh, ostensibly trusts and his friends and the rest of his friends in the justice league do it, he gets it, but emotionally it's a bridge too far. And he doesn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it, but you can tell that emotionally he's hurt, but he doesn't let, he doesn't dissolve into brooding. And that's kind of the point that I'm getting to here is that we all have moments where no matter how good we do, no matter how much good we do, there are always going to be people who think the worst of us. There are always going to be people who are waiting on us to make that one mistake. And in certain circumstances, that one mistake, even if it's minor, can, can set you back significantly. My, one of my supervisors at my old job used to say, you know, one oh shit can undo a lifetime of attaboys. And that's kind of what, you know, happens in this circumstance with Superman. And how we handle that can kind of define us as a person. There's a, there's a, there's a band that I really like. There's a melodic hardcore band called Rise Against. They're very political. Every member of the band is either vegetarian or vegan. I like that. They're all straight edge, which means they don't do drugs or, or drink or anything like that. So I can really relate to that on many levels. And again, they're very political. And they have this one song that says, um, uh, we, we've all had hardships. We've all been hurt. And how we survive is what makes us who we are. And I might have paraphrased one of the words from the, that line. But I, I think that's very important. Um, at, at my old job, I, and I am not, I can say this objectively, I was very, very good at my job. And I had a lot of certifications and a lot of awards that kind of made me stand out. And occasionally, um, I would either make a very minor mistake or someone accused me, would accuse me of either doing wrong or accuse me of making a larger mistake, either for political reasons or just because they didn't like me or whatever. And I, I will freely admit I did not handle it well. I would have a, I would admit, I admit I had a sense of entitlement where I've done all this good for you and this is how you treat me. And that, that is where I think the Civil War original miniseries went wrong. And you know, not, not so much the moments where Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers has the Captain America mantle taken away from him, but when the government does its thing with the anti-superhero acts, and I, I think this was because of who wrote it, um, who's an author I don't particularly like, they very handled Steve's characterization poorly in that series, and he turns it into, I've done all this for you, and this is how you treat me in return. And we have to remember that we can't control how other people perceive us. All we can do is put forth our best effort and put forth how we want others to perceive us. And even when it doesn't go that way, sometimes we just have to acknowledge that at least we've done everything we could to be the best kind of person that we can possibly be. 
because that's what Superman would do. And so, with that being said, let's go talk about some comics. Okay. Again, um, our first issue that we're going to talk about very briefly is Justice League number four from September 7th of 2016. This is written by Brian Hitch. It's penciled by Jesus Marino. It's inked by Andy Owens and Jesus Marino. It's colored by Tomeo Mori. It's lettered by Richard Starkings and Comicraft. The main cover is by Fernando Passarin and Brad Anderson. And the variant cover is by Yannick Paquette and Nathan Fairburn. The main cover has the Justice League. It looks like they're standing on a bunch of meteorites in sp or some asteroids in space. There's a plant, there's a rubble of a planet in space behind them. Um, and everyone is kind of looking either at the planet or at Superman, which is who is most in foreground, or Superman kind of his his clench, his fists clench and is looking frustrated. And the caption on the cover says, one world destroyed and only Superman can save us. So I like that this one, this gives some major props to Superman. The cover is fine. Um, it's a good composition. Um, I don't love some of the faces on it, but otherwise it's not bad. Um, the variant by Paquette is continuing this series of covers of individual Justice League members standing amid some rubble in a city. Um, this one is Batman and he's standing in front of a half broken statue of an angel with some buildings in the background. And it is also okay. Um, I don't love it. <laughs> I have not loved, uh, these paquette covers. I, I suspect it may be the inker on that. Uh, Nathan Fairburn, who is, uh, maybe adding some elements to it that I don't like. Cause I do normally like Paquette's uh, pencils. So the plot of this story so far is that the Earth is being assaulted on at least two fronts. The first is by a group called the Kindred, and they are four giant energy beings that they have. Bodies are made out of people in this big kind of energy soup, and they have these gigantic um, male humanoid bodies, and one is made out of speed force, one is made out of lantern energy, one is made out of magic, and one is made out of cosmic energy. And they want to sing some kind of universal harmonic song that is supposed to do something. And I have read this entire arc. It does not say in this arc what that song is supposed to do. It is eventually revealed later um, that I something called the forever crisis. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to set off the crisis or hold back the crisis or something. I'm assuming that was like a crossover event that Hitch was trying to make happen that obviously didn't. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things I don't like about this arc is it's an interesting storytelling concept. There is no omniscient narrator in, on this. So nothing happens that our Justice League members don't know about. And because they don't know what's going on, we don't know what's going on. Which is, again, interesting. Um, but And I think if I liked Hitch better as a writer, I would give it more slack. Because 
you know, for example, the whole thing with Mr. Oz in Action Comics, I don't love it. I don't necessarily love the resolution of it, but I like Dan Jurgens as a writer. So I give him some leeway on the what he was trying to do with it, even though I don't think it necessarily worked. So I'll give him a lot more slack. I don't think this works and I don't like it. So that's just what it is. Now, the other side that is assaulting Earth is called the Purge. And it's these giant organic machines that are being made on another planet. And they look like these massive seed pods. They're like a cross between a spaceship and a seed pod. And they crash into Earth. And they let out these millions of techno-organic drones that are attaching onto people Starro style and taking them back into the ships. And then the people are converted into more drones. And their purpose is to destroy whatever planet the kindred land on to stop the kindred from doing whatever they're trying to do. And there, there may also be a third front because there are these three giant extinction engines in the Earth's core that are intended to shake the Earth apart. I assume that they have something to do with the Purge, that they were planted there by the Purge, but I don't think it's ever said. And... I, when I tried to do some research about it, it's also implied that the extinction engines may be the result of a third party. So I don't, I don't know. And again, I don't like this particularly a lot, so I'm not really going to try to find out. But what all our Justice League members are doing is um, our two Green Lanterns, Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz, are out in space dealing with the destroyed planet that is making the seed pods. And um, Cyborg is in communication with them, and he's trying to find the, the signal that controls the drones. A Wonder Woman and Flash are dealing with the, with the kindred giants. Aquaman is in the ocean trying to find these crystals that look like Zodiac symbols. And I also don't think that's ever explained why he's doing that. I don't think it ties into this story. <laughs> I think it's just a loose subplot. And Batman is is uh, is coordinating with Cyborg because Cyborg has boom-tubed Superman into the Earth's core to deal with the extinction engines. And there's only there's only two pages. There's if there's th three yeah, there's three pages of Superman in this. And so each one of them looks pretty cool. It's it's all down in the Earth's core, so it's all shades of yellows and, and oranges and stuff. And it's Superman trying to destroy one of the three extinction engines. And, you know, it's too hot down there for him to bother using his heat vision because it's hotter than his heat vision already. So it can stand intense heat. He tries to punch them. It doesn't do any good. And he's getting frustrated uh, because he thinks he says he's not strong enough to deal with them. Then he realizes that he remembers that the different levels of the Earth's core have different levels of pressure. And he isn't actually in one of the outer cores. And so he decides to push the extinction engine deeper into the Earth's core. He's able to get it moving, 
and once he gets it down to the very center of the earth, it crumbles from the pressure. He is just barely able to withstand it, but after the first one uh, is destroyed, there are still these massive earthquakes that are trying to shake the earth apart, and that's when he realizes that he has to go deal with all three. So he has two more extinction engines to deal with in a very short amount of time, and he was just barely able to take care of the first one. And that is it. That is that is the extent of what we are going to cover of this issue of Justice League. Uh, <laughs> probably in a couple, couple episodes from now, I'll have to take care of another one. When we finish this arc, I may just drop this title altogether. Uh, <laughs> I do not like this book. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break. And then we'll come back and talk about Action Comics, which I actually want to talk about. Okay, onward to Action Comics, number 963, release date September 14th, 2016. And I realize I've been saying cover date as I cover these more more modern comics as opposed to where I've been saying... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a habit that I've picked up from covering some older comics on the Patreon. But yeah. This is actual release date of September 14th. The creatives on this one are Dan Jurgens writing, Patrick Zercher back on art. Uh, I guess he does both pencils and inks. I think he is actually doing art digitally by this point, um, judging by some comments that I've picked up from him on Twitter. Um, Arif Prianto is the colorist, and Rob Lee is the letterer. Uh, Clayman and Tomeomori with Dan Jurgens did the main cover, and Gary Frank and Brad Anderson did the variant. Uh, the main is with our mysterious other Clark Kent falling from a great height um, near the Daily Planet building as our Superman flies in to save him, and we are looking at this from a ground-up angle and it is pretty neat. Um, the variant is of Other Clark standing with his hands triumphantly on his hips as his tie blows in the wind. There is a uh, Superman billboard being put up in the background that says he's back. There are a group of spectators around Clark all looking off in the same direction he is with the wind blowing their hair and clothing and so forth and there's a newspaper being blown onto a flagpole and the newspaper says it's got a big superman symbol and then it says alive and we see a flag blowing in that same wind direction and then we see a red streak flying by and this one is pretty fun i, I like it a lot um i'm a big fan of gary frank's artworks artwork even though his faces are always a little disturbing to me um, so for uh, somehow, and I think it's because of all the extra lines that he puts in the faces, somehow a lot of his faces that he draws look kind of sinister, but I still love his work and I love the, um, the expression and the, the likenesses that he put in, especially from Superman's secret origin in the latter half of the two thousands where he manages to make both adult and teenage Clark Kent look like Christopher Reeves. Pretty great um, artist in a really fun cover. 
one of the few times where I would probably pick the variant over the over the main. But it opens with our other, oh, let me, aha, before I, let me uh, cut myself. Before we get going, let me do a recap for those of you that are new to the podcast. Um, so, um, when the pre-Flashpoint, Clark Kent and Lois Lane, with their newborn son, John, were transitioned over to the post-Flashpoint universe, and I'm trying to move away from calling it the new 52 universe at this time because of the shift of eras. Um, they, it was 10 years ago, uh, story-wise, not publication. Well, yeah, actually would be both, but both story and publication-wise. Well, they came over, you know, like a year ago, publication-wise, but r- retroactively, if they, w- they appeared around the time that Justice League New 52 number one came out. So, okay, never mind. I'm, I'm losing the thread there. But anyway, they came over to the to the post-Flashpoint universe. They realized there already was a Lois Lane there. They realized there already was a Clark Kent there who was who was acting who was you know doing superheroics as Superman. And so they decided to to lay low, especially after post-Flashpoint Lois revealed post-Flashpoint Clark's secret identity. And our Lois and our Clark uh, went by the last name of White for a while. And when their home was destroyed in the battle where New 52 Superman died, they moved. They are now operating under the last name of Smith. And since that time, our Clark has returned to action as what this world thinks of as a new Superman. Not to be not to be confused with new super hyphen man, the Superman of China, but a newer Superman because they don't look exactly alike, which is something I'll get back to since. Now, after around the time that that happened, Doomsday attacked New York and our Superman discovered that there was a mysterious other Clark Kent who does not seem to have any powers and claims to have never been Superman. And um, the, the, the mystery of the other Clark Kent is a dangling plot thread or a continuing plot thread that we are continuing now. So we open this book with mysterious other Clark, who still has his left arm in a cast from where it was um, broken uh, during the whole doomsday incident. He is running through the hallways of uh, the Genetocron Corporation, and he is being chased by their security goons, and they are, they are ready to use lethal force on him. They are drawing down with their handguns. Clark manages to tackle one and grab the goon's gun and pistol whip him across the chin with it. And all of the narration boxes are from this Clark's point of view. So it's his internal monologue. And uh, as he knocks out the goon, he says, he thinks to himself, some would say I'm mild-mannered, but I've wrestled down my fair share of calves for branding back in Smallville, and I can handle my own when I have to. So immediately, Jurgens is removing a layer of mystery about the other Clark. Because when he first appeared, 
we don't we don't get anything from his point of view. We get his his word bubbles. We get what he's saying, and he says that he's Clark Kent. He says that he's never been Superman. We show that he doesn't have powers, though. You know, with comic books, it could be an issue of turning powers on and turning powers off and whatever. But here, we are getting from his thoughts that he is, in fact, Clark Kent and that he did, in fact, grow up on the small, on the farm in Smallville. And so, as far as we know, this guy definitely is Clark or at least believes he is Clark. So after he tackles that goon, he runs into a stairwell and he's running up the stairs and there's another goon on a level below him who is firing at him. They are full on using lethal force. And Clark is thinking to himself, um, uh, it's definitely a day that I would have been better off staying in bed. And we get a flashback to earlier that morning where Clark or this Clark is attending a press conference that Lex Luthor, the new owner of the Daily Planet, has arranged. And Perry is there, and he says that he's um, that he's happy that Clark's alive. Um, and Perry says, if it's true, I couldn't be happier. And Clark says, you still don't believe me? And Perry says, I'm a newspaper man, Clark, until I have all the facts, I withhold judgment. And so Lex is on stage. He's got a podium with the big stylized double L. And there is a video monitor showing a scene of Superman uh, tackling Doomsday with Clark directly in front of them. And so Lex is saying, you know, we know that now there's a mystery about this Clark Kent because the Daily Planet printed the story written by Lois Lane outing Superman as Clark Kent. And Lex is saying, I know you have questions, and I do too. The question on everyone's lips, how is it possible that a hero declared dead, a man who proclaimed himself to be both Superman and Clark Kent, can still be alive as two distinctly different people? uh, Lex says, Superman died. There are witnesses The Superman that fought Doomsday but a short time ago would appear to be a replacement of unknown origin. His authenticity is yet to be determined. Now, that is interesting given the time that this was published because this came out a week after Superman number six that we covered two episodes ago, episode 18, where after his battle with the Eradicator on the moon, Superman stands there in front of the camera on the lunar module and lets the entire world see him in full detail. And afterwards, he's given the key to the city of the metropolis, given the key to metrop- key, the key to the city by the mayor of Metropolis. Sorry about that. And there's a whole big news thing and all that. So, uh, but we've we've established that these two titles don't sync up one for one as far as publication and timeline. So either one of two things, either this is this scene is going on while Superman's battle with the Eradicator is still going on, or despite Superman's public outing of himself, 
Lex is still casting doubt on it because he, of course, wants himself to be the only recognized Superman. And so after Lex says that, people in the audience who we have, we have both reporters and we just have a crowd of people. This is not a closed news conference. This is a open public gathering and people are shouting, where is Superman? Why isn't he here? The paper said Kent was Superman. And Lex acknowledges, yes, the planet recently broke the story that Superman and Clark Kent are one and the same. So you can imagine how surprised I was to see the two of them together. And then there's a guy in the audience wearing a red flannel shirt, and he shouts, Bull, enough hiding, take off those glasses. And, uh, you know, Lex kind of ignores it and kind of acknowledges it. And he says, I know this is shocking news. Some of you, it's shocking to me too. But before we rest to judgment, I called this press conference today to give Mr. Kent the opportunity to tell his side of the story. And so as this Clark steps up to the, to the platform and says, hi, we flash over to the quote unquote Smith slash Kent farm where Lois and Clark and John are watching on TV. And Lois says that um, this other Clark has her husband's befuddled look down pat. John says that this other Clark looks just like our Clark. And um, we have different reactions from different members of the audience. We have a guy saying, come on, fly for a Superman. And we have another guy saying, I never believed Kent was big blue. Dude probably lives in a castle on a deserted island. And so this Clark begins to tell his story. And he says, a few months ago, Superman came and told me my life was in grave danger. He said that for my own safety, I had to go into hiding. And then the red flannel shirt guy is shouting, how could you let Doomsday rampage through the city, Superman? My business was destroyed. My life was ruined. No more lies. And from him, we shift over to another guy that is watching very closely. And this is a guy with a blonde beard and a red hat pulled down closely over his eyes. The first time I read this, given the time that it was released, I was wondering if this was going to be a thinly veiled reference to um, to people who had begun to wear red hats prevalently during the 2016 election and, uh, and tended to go to press conferences and call the uh, the truthfulness of the news into question but that is not the case it's just a regular old red hat and um on stage perry and lex are, are talking under their breath and perry is saying they don't believe him and lex is saying uh i don't blame them either someone was lying now or they're lying then and i went to find out who on stage, this Clark is continuing. He says, Superman warned me that a story I was working on related to the Genetikron Corporation was about to blow up in my face, that they might rather see me dead than have their secrets exposed. Since we resemble each other, he volunteered to take my place, and I went into seclusion far away. Now, this is, and I hate to point out plot holes in, in this era, because I like it a lot. But this is one of the plot holes, is that this Clark is saying how much he looks like, looks like the post-Flashpoint Superman, who canonically looks younger than the pre-Flashpoint Superman. They have about a five to ten year difference in their appearance. 
But we also establish that this Clark looks almost ex looks exactly like our pre-Flashpoint Clark. So it's either one of those things that you're just supposed to gloss over and not worry about. Because from what little I've read of New 52 Superman, at least in the beginning of the run, I think I'm up to like issue seven or eight of Action Comics. And um, I'm on the second issue of the short run that Jurgens did, the one with Hellspont from Wildcats. Um, he looks you know, like... As Clark, he looks a lot younger than, than our Clark. He looks like a dude in his mid-20s, and our Clark looks like a guy in, around his mid-30s. So, and I, I can't really speak to how he looked towards the end of the run. I know there was a bit where he was running around with his hair cropped short and just wearing a t-shirt, kind of looking like an older version of mid-2000s Con-El Superboy. But they don't look much alike. They they look like they could be cousins. They look like they could be brothers, but they don't look very much alike. Um, but one other way to look at it is that the lines of reality between pre-Flashpoint and post-Flashpoint are starting to blur. And like I said when I was covering um, that issue of Justice League that I just talked about, when it comes to a writer I like... And when it comes to a writer whose work I enjoy or a, st a story I'm enjoying currently, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt that it is intentional. So moving on, the red flannel shirt guy is still shouting no more lies. Um, and Lex has this watch that emits this holographic image that says unauthorized armament detected. And he shouts, gun, everybody down. And the red shirt gun pull red shirt guy pulls a gun out of his pants and he opens fire at Clark. He is tackled by Maggie Sawyer of the Special Crimes Unit. Clark ducks down behind the podium. He is not shot, although we do see a bit of the of the um, podium chip off and kind of scrape his chin. And um Lex says that the um you know, Perry's saying that his enemies have come after him, and Lex is saying that wasn't an enemy, that, that was just a whack job with a gun. And Maggie's people have taken him out. Um, but Lex says, if you really want this to end, Kent, you need an explanation people will believe. And um, that Clark remembers how, as they left through the loading dock entrance, he sees Superman just starting to fly in. And he said, he's thinking to himself, well, maybe he heard the gunshots. Maybe he was on the way anyway. But why wasn't he there for the press conference to back up my story? So we jump back to the present where the goon on the stairs gets Clark cornered. But Clark grabs a fire extinguisher off the wall and hits the guy in the face with it, which has got to hurt. Um, the goon goes tumbling down the stairs. Clark goes running up the other way. And um, Clark is thinking to himself that he tried to tell his story and he tried to convince them. Um, and he says, no matter how extreme, uh, they never believe me, no matter how extreme their ideas were. And then we flash back to noon that day where this Clark is being given a lie detector test. And they're asking him, is your real name Clark Kent? Yes. 
you grew up in Smallville near Kansas, guess. Have you ever called your, or referred to yourself in any way as Superman? No. But then the guy giving the test says, and you have never been able to fly, been impervious to bullets, or manifested any other metahuman ability. And Clark says, correct. And the guy asking the question says, yes or no, please. And Clark just says, yes. Now that's interesting. And again, I know how this turns out. I'm trying to read it from the perspective of not knowing how it's going to turn out and maybe wondering if Jurgens had any different ideas for what the resolution of this story was supposed to be. But you could answer that question with a yes or no. You could answer, yes, I have never been able to fly, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can answer, no, I have never been able to fly, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to hazard a guess that that was Jurgens trying to add a bit of ambiguity to the results. And the, the lie detector test guy says the results indicate quite clearly that the subject is being 100% truthful, Mr. White. And then he packs up and he, the lie detector test is part of a briefcase device. He folds up his briefcase and he leaves. Um, Perry apologizes for not believing Clark and says that after you exposed a Superman, it threw us all for a loop. It's hard to accept that those things were simply not true. And, um, and Clark saying he understands, he doesn't like it, but he understands it was Superman said it was necessary for him to live. And, um, Perry asks if he's talked to Lois about it. And he says he has not, which would be rather difficult as we know from our coverage of Superwoman that the post flashpoint Lois has just recently died yet. No one except for Lana is aware of that information. And so, um, as he leaves, uh, Perry's office, he says he's going to finish what he was trying, what he'd started before Superman interrupted him and do his investigation of Geneticron. And so we see back to the present, we see Clark on the roof of Geneticron and he is thinking that he'd been investigating the company for some time. He'd gotten wind of some secretive communications that pointed to some serious business Strange purchases of rare metals, offshore accounts that pointed to money laundering, rumors of a hidden vault with incredible secrets, and that he was certain he was just to the point of getting proof of it when he was interrupted by Superman. But as he's thinking this, he is tackled by yet another goon. We flash back to later that this ap- later that afternoon, as um, Jimmy is accompanying Clark to Geneticron and um, how uh, Clark has an interview with the, with the CEO of the company, and Jimmy is going to accompany him to take photographs. And as they're walking along, um, Jimmy pulls out his phone and says he has footage from the security camera on the roof of the Daily Planet, and Superman is standing there, and Batman is perched on the building next to him, and Batman has the the briefcase lie detector device and Clark says that he realized that that, that was the that Superman had Batman administer his lie detector test and if we scroll back to the page of the lie detector test guy 
my first thought when I read this is like, that's got to be somebody in, in disguise because it's a, we never see him full on in full profile, but he's got a beard and he's got long hair and there's just something about it that looks like a disguise. And I'm glad I was right. It was in fact, Batman. Um, so Clark is getting paranoid at this time. He, he is wondering why Superman is going through all this. You know, why, why is Superman so interested in the fact that he's really Clark? And uh, so they go into the Geneticron building, and the, the CEO comes down. He's a guy named Mr. Bandu. He's an older man. Uh, he's bald. He's got a beard. And Bandu says, I've never met you. We have no recording of you asking to interview anyone in this company until now. Continue harassing our staff, and I will sue both you and your paper into total destitution, and then leaves. And so it is the end of the day. It's almost five. People are starting to leave, and Clark tells Jimmy, cover for me. Wait until there are so many employees leaving that she can't see I'm not with you. And then he sneaks off, goes into the bathroom, and then pulls a Bruce Willis and sneaks up into the air duct system of the building. And I got to admit, I don't like this. <laughs> um, I will forever uh, have, hold a grudge against uh, Die Hard for convincing the general public that air duct systems are both big enough and sturdy enough to hold an adult man as he crawls through them. It is just not a thing. I'm sorry. Unless you're in like some kind of massive, super uh, reinforced industrial type thing. And, sorry, in an office building. No, that, that is not a thing. Sorry about that. And um, as he drops down out of the air duct into the hallway, that is where we see him encounter the first goon from the beginning of the issue. We flash back to the present or flash forward back to the present where he is being beat up by the goon on the roof. And the goon is saying, you did me a favor by coming up here. Everyone will think it's a suicide, another whack job that did himself in because no one would believe his wild claims. He picks Clark up and tosses him off the building. Clark shouts, no. But then from off panel, someone says, hang on. And it's Superman who flies out of nowhere and catches Clark. And on the ground, looking up um, with the crowd, as this happens, is the guy with the beard and the red hat from earlier. And he just thinks, hmm. And Clark says, look, I obviously appreciate you saving me, but I can't help think there's more to it. What is it you want from me? And Superman says, it should be obvious by now. And the final page is a splash of the two of them standing side by side as Superman says, we need to talk. It says, next, proof. So very fun issue. Um, like I said, there is a, there is not a 0% chance that um, this other Clark looking more like post uh, pre-Flashpoint Superman than post-Flashpoint Superman is a oversight or is something that we're supposed to hand wave away. But again, I can't help thinking it is on purpose or I'd like to think that it is on purpose and that it is a result of the, the, the lines between the two realities beginning to blur. And given the direction that this arc is eventually going to go, without saying too much, I think there's a decent probability that that is the case. Um, again, I like having Zercher back on the book. 
I'm always a fan of his work. Um, and even though the, the presence of our Superman is very light in this issue, uh, what we do get is very enjoyable. So I, I like this issue a lot. And I, I, even though I know how the mystery ends, I'm enjoying going back through it and kind of reliving it play itself out. So that is it for action, what number was this again? 963. I'm gonna take a quick ad break and then we'll come back for new Superman number three. And we're back. And again, we are talking about new Superman number three released September 14th, 2016. Uh, give me a minute to find the creatives on this one. And I guess they're all the way in the back, right? Yep, there they are. Um, this is written by who is quickly becoming one of my like probably top three favorite Superman writers, Gene Luen Yang. And again, before I go any farther, let me state again that if I mispronounce any names in this, it is not intentional. It is just lack of familiarization on my part. Victor Bogdanovich does the pencils. Uh, Richard Friend does the inks. Hi-Fi does the colors. And Dave Sharp does the letters. Bogdanovich and Hi-Fi do the main cover. And the uh, variant is by Philip Tan and Elmer Santos. So let's take a look at those. The main cover is of Kenan Kong, the Superman of China in front of a yellow background uh, with his eyes lit up with heat vision energy facing down several snake-like dragon heads. And he's right in the center and they're coming from him from all different directions and angles and it's pretty cool. The variant, uh, which I like a little better, is of Kenan in the center of the page and one of those Snake Dragons is coming to him, coming at him from the left side of the page with its body curled. And where its body curls divides the page into uh, our, I should say, the snake is coming from the left-hand side of the page. And so to the left of the curl on the side with the head is a cityscape background. Um, and to the right are close-ups of... Kenan's face, as well as the Batman of China and the face of the Superwoman of, of China. And I do like that one a little bit better. And I should, this is something I pointed out before, is that when Kenan is fully activated and in full use of his powers, he looks buffer, he looks leaner, he looks more, uh, more cut, I should say. Uh, he's, he's not exactly swole, but he is, he's pretty ripped and pretty cut. Um, when he is not in full use of his powers, he looks uh, less well-defined. His face is a little rounder, so it is a pretty neat effect. So quick background, uh, we're only three issues into this, so there's a whole lot. But um, Kong Kenan is a kid in China, and he is kind of a bully. He's kind of a dumbass, honestly. Uh, he's not very, well, he's kind of a slacker. He's not very bright. Um, and his mom was killed in an airplane crash and he blames the CEO of the airplane company, the airline. And so he bullies the son of the CEO of the airline. 
And at one point where he was doing so, where he was bullying the kid, this um, Chinese, what I'm assuming at this point is a terrorist named Blue Condor, who looks extremely cool, by the way, which we will get into when we get toward the end of this issue, comes in and tries to kidnap, tries to kidnap the son of the CEO. And Kenan distracts Blue Condor by throwing a soda can at him, which for some reason makes Blue Condor, I think it just draws too much attention to the kidnapping, and so he lets the kid go and flies away. This gets the news's attention. He's interviews, uh, interviewed by a uh, basically what's going to be the, the allegory to Lois Lane, who Kenan has a crush on, and the interview gets the attention of one Dr. Omen, who works for the Chinese government and has been experimenting either with the harnessed or replicated energy that was first expelled by the new 52 Superman during an extreme power burst and later uh, expelled again when he died. And so she recruits Kenan and she uh, infuses him with that power, which gives him Superman-like abilities and inducts him into the Justice League of China, uh, where he's teamed up with the Batman of China. I'm sorry, yeah, the Batman and Wonder Woman of China. However, we find out that Kenan's powers are very sporadic. We don't know exactly why yet. Um, Kenan goes along on a mission with the, the Batman and the Wonder Woman to rescue a uh, a scientist named Wei Li, whose house has been broken into by a super criminal name, I think it's Sunbeam, and I will double check that as we go into it. Um, something during that incident causes Kenan's powers to reactivate, and we will discuss both my theory and the theory proposed by Batman once we get into the comic a little further. And he defeats Sunbeam, who is taken into custody. Uh, the Lois Lane allegory, whose name I can't exactly remember, but we, in my memory will be refreshed very shortly, shows up and interviews him again, and he immediately gives up his secret identity and reveals that he is part of the Justice League of China. And that is where, that is where we pick up this issue. And so uh, Lainey Lan, uh, L-A-N, is, is our Lois Lane allegory, and she's with Primetime Shanghai, and she's interviewing him, and she's saying, oh, you're, you're, you, you're the new Superman. That must be why you stood up the Blue Condor all those days ago. And he's like, yeah, that's the ticket. And one thing that uh, they do with the dialogue in this is whenever... They are using what I'm guessing is an anglified version of someone's name. They write it in blue, and whenever they use an English word, they write it in blue. The rest of the, you know, all the dialogue's in English, but we're to understand that if it's in regular black letters, they're speaking uh, Chinese, and if it's a blue letter, they're, they're using an, an anglified or English word. And that is when they do when they say Lainey's name. But Dr. Omen is watching this back from their headquarters, and she uh, gets on the, the communicator with the Batman of China, who's there on the scene, and the Wonder Woman of China, and tells them to shut Kenan down and bring him in. And so 
the Wonder Woman uses her version of the magic lasso, which is pink energy, which she has said in the past is part of her body, to rope him up uh, very tightly to where he can barely breathe. And they get him in the Bat Utility Vehicle, or BUV, which is pretty funny. Now, as this is going on on TV, we see several people watching, one of, with, one of which is Lex Luthor, who says, an interesting opportunity. Uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, is watching from the Justice League Tower and just goes, hmm. Uh, Perry White is watching from the Daily Planet, and he just, <laughs> he's some, like spitting out his coffee mid-sip. And then August General in Iron, the leader of the Great Ten, China's premier super team, just shouts, Oh, man! So he, uh, the, the Great Ten, has had encounters with Dr. Omen in the past and is not a good relationship. So Batman and Wonder Woman get Kenan in the, the BUV and it activates hover mode and flies away. Uh, Batman gets on the communicator with Dr. Omen and tells him the situation is contained. Um, I was right. The the criminal uh, who they apprehended, her name was Sunbeam. She tells Batman to get Sunbeam to the crab shell and then return Kenan to the tower. And, uh, uh, and she's, he's, yep, we're going to do that. And so um, one of the great things about this series is the dialogue and the banter between the characters. And so inside the BUV, Kenan is asking the Batman, whose name is whose real name is Bang. I'm gonna say it wrong. Um, by she, I think it's by she. Uh, so this thing flies, huh? And by she ignores him and says, "Let's get a couple things straight. First, try revealing our identities to the public again in Daylon, who is the Wonder Woman of China, and I will break you. I mean that literally. And second, you are not the leader of the team. You can barely lead yourself. And uh, Kenan says, "Au contraire, I'm the su uh, I'm Superman, and Superman is the leader of the Justice League. I even have the S on my chest." And Baishi says, "That's not do your homework, dummy. That's not an S." And I assume that's a reference to the whole. It's not an S on my planet. It means hope. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We are more and more things are unfolding now. One thing we learned in earlier issues is that Kenan's dad is part of a quote-unquote writing group who is investigating the agency that Dr. Omen is the head of. I forget what the name of it is right now. It sounds really cool. Uh, I think it's the, oh, the Ministry of Self-Reliance. Yeah. And they are going to publish their findings. But uh, as he is with his group, um, they point out to Kenan's dad what Kenan has just done on TV. And Kenan's dad uh, says, we need to move quickly. We need to move now. And one of Kenan's dad's um, the friends says, the symbol on his chest is in the shape of an octagon. I don't know what that means. I don't think we're supposed to know what that means yet. Maybe, but I have a theory and I'll, I'll get to it shortly. So the BUV splashes down in a river somewhere or in the ocean off the coast and they go down deep underwater and they go to the crab shell, which is a huge underwater prison. Now, as they're walking through it, um, Daylon is saying that it is the 
It's the only prison in China equipped to, equipped to deal with metahumans. China's most dangerous criminals are there. And they walk past his cell, and there's a guy in it who has an S symbol on his chest. But from looking at it, it's not super clear because part of it's bisected by uh, part of the cell. But it looks like his S symbol is inside a hexagon. So six-sided shape. And uh, Kennan's is an octagon. So I'm wondering... Okay, so during the death of the new Superman, new 52 Superman story arc, we saw where Dr. Omen had a test subject that she had infused either with the captured or replicated energy that new 52 Superman had, you know, had let out in a huge power burst. And when um, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and the Great Ten all go to her lab to confront her, the, the test subject escapes and flies off. I'm wondering if that's this guy, and I'm wondering also if the number of sides of the shapes that surround the S symbol indicate like which number test subject they are. Like maybe because his is six-sided, he's supposed to be test subject number three, and Kenan is, because he has an octagon, is supposed to be test subject number four. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. It might not be a hexagon, but it kind of looks like it from, um, from this whole thing here. But anyway, um, Daylon is saying that the ministry built the crab shell shortly after our first major supervillain outbreak. And she said that was five years ago, about about a year after they started appearing in America. Now, that timeline doesn't quite match up because New 52 um, Justice League, I think, is supposed to take place about a year before or five years before everything else in the New 52 happened. So like. Superman number one takes place six, you know, five years after Justice League number one, I think. And um, Lois and Clark arrived in pre-Flashpoint Lois and Clark arrived in post-Flashpoint universe around the time that the Justice League had its first adventure. And, and that was when John was a baby, and now John is 10. So... Thing, that might, you know, again, I think that's just an edit, editorial oversight, I think, and probably thinking too much about it. It doesn't matter. But anyway, and so they walk past what looks like a huge aquarium, and Kenan says, what's up with this? And Daylon says, that's not an aquarium dummy. Both she and Baishi call him dummy instead of his name. And she says, each cell is custom designed to neutralize the power of its particular occupant. And as Kenan turns away, we see that clinging to the to the roof of the inside of the aquarium is a Starro drone, which is pretty cool. I hope we see more of that. I have uh, I have enjoyed Starro ever since uh, Grant Morrison's JLA. So I hope we're we're going to end up seeing more with that. And. Um, and so as they walk along, Dylon asks Kenan why he did what he did. And he says, I don't know. I just really wanted her to notice me. And then he thinks to himself, and not just her. So 
he has both a, cr a crush on both Lainey and Elon. And, um, and they kind of let that conversation trail off as they're, they're implying that Sunbeam is going to be just disappeared inside this facility that, uh, she asks how long she's going to be in there. And by, she says, it's not up to us, but come to think of it, I don't, I, I've never heard of anyone ever leaving. And, um, so they walk along and they pass another cell and there's a guy inside of it looking out and he has kind of an orangish armor and he has some kind of, he's an older looking guy. He has some gray scruff around his chin and he looks at, at, um, uh, Kenan and says, that boy, that's Shangdan's son, Ken Kong Kenan. So this guy knows both Kenan and his dad. So in the Oriental Pearl Tower, which is the headquarters of the Ministry of Self-Reliance, uh, Dr. Omen is on the line with um, August General and Iron, and they are having an argument back and forth about how uh, Dr. Omen is acting irresponsibly. She's just making a knockoff version of American heroes that the Great Ten has always has been... Uh, China's protectors for some time, and she says that uh, the Great Ten's time has passed. And August General and Iron said, This team of children you've assembled is nothing but a cheap Chinese imitation of flawed American concept. Someone is providing you political cover. I'm going to find out who, and then I'm going to come shut you down. Um, and so as she, as she ends the conversation, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman enter her office. And um, she had given, Dr. Omen had attached this visor to Kenan's face that was not only intended to provide him holographic information that he was supposed to study, but it was also a pain compliance device. It shocked him whenever he misbehaved or refused to follow orders. And he was able to kind of push past the pain and rip the visor off to save the scientist kid in the last issue. And so she comments that that she sees that he got the visor off and he says it wasn't a problem once my super strength came back. And so she pulls out this huge gun and says, unfortunately, that wasn't my only compliance device and just blasts him with green energy, which I have to assume is a variation of kryptonite. And so it it obviously hurts really bad. Um, Dylon begs her to stop. Um and Dr. Roman does stop, and Kenan is like smoking, like literally there's smoke coming off of his body, and he's crawling away and says he quits, and she says, you can't. Now that you've revealed your secret identity, how long do you think it's going to be before some supervillain comes after your dad? A month or two? Um, the only hope you have of protecting yourself and your father is to stay here and to learn to control your powers and be under government control. So later, um, um, now they say later that Kenan's flight powers aren't back yet, but we see him on top of this dome that is on the top of the Ministry of Self-Reliance's building the Oriental Pearl Tower. Maybe there's an elevator that goes up there. I don't know, doesn't matter. But he's sitting up there on this dome and Daylon flies up to hang out with him, and she's got a pack of sodas that she's going to share with him. And, uh, and she asks how he's feeling, and he says, For an hour or two after Dr. Omen shot me, I smelled like KFC fried chicken, and the KFC is in blue. 
So that's how we know that he actually said KFC and not whatever the Chinese equivalent of it is. So that's pretty funny. And so they they just sit there and they have a talk. And she says, I I kind of get why you really why you revealed your secret identity to Lainey Lan. You know, sometimes we do stupid things when when we have crushes. I've done stupid things too. And he actually apologizes in his internal monologue. Says, "I can't believe I'm going to say this." And uh, and so they're you know they're talking back and forth. And he says, "Oh, you know, Lainey is pretty cute, right?" She's like, "Well, if you like that spunky TV girl kind of thing," he says, "I totally am." And he says, um, I didn't do it just to impress Lainey. I knew she'd put my face on TV. So I was hoping my, and then his internal dialogue says that my dad would see me. But before he can say it out loud, Vaishi comes up. And I had made the comment last time we talked about this book that I didn't think Vaishi was really overweight um, Kenan is constantly calling him Tubby. We see that outside the Batman suit, he is actually kind of overweight. Uh, he does carry a lot of his uh, girth in his stomach. So he is kind of a husky dude. But he sits down and uh, <laughs> we get some more dialogue, which is really funny now. And so he, he sits down next to Kenan and he looks at Baishi and said, Is that really your face? And Baishi says, Yeah, so... And Kenan thinks to himself, I want to tell him no one, I want to tell him it's no wonder he's the only one of us who wears a mask, but I bite my lip. And so they go on and um, by she says, remember when you asked me that question about why Wei Li's home security system had, direct, had a direct link to the Ministry of Self-Reliance? It was a surprisingly good question considering who asked it. Kenan thinks, still biting my lip. And so he did some, so Baishi has done some digging and um, he makes a connection between Wei Li and um, the, and La, Lu, L-U-O, I'm just going to say Lu, Long Day. And he is the CEO of the airline that Kenan's mom was on and the both of them and, and a third person are part of a partnership in an alter private investment group that that helps fund the Ministry of Self-Reliance and the third person is a guy named Zhen Jiquang and he is a professor at the Shanghai Ocean University and so, like, wait a minute, the Ministry of Self-Reliance is a governmental agency. Why does it need private funding? And they're like, oh, well, that's the question. And we can't just ask Dr. Omen because if it, was a, if, if it wasn't a secret, she would have told us by now, and she's not exactly open with secrets. And so the three of them decide to investigate together. Um... Uh, Daylan says, we're just going to do a little investigating, you, me, and the dummy. And uh, Kenan says, my lips gone numb from biting it. And then they they all clink their, their soda cans together and say, let's do it, Justice League of China. And Kenan thinks, but maybe a numb lip is the price of friendship. So we see that Kenan is starting to mature a little bit. He's learning to control his his 
<laughs> his, his tendency to just speak without thinking, to say offensive things, to be less of a Beavis and Butthead kind of guy, and to try to cooperate. So <laughs> later there's a scene where Baishi as Batman has on a jetpack, and Daylon as Wonder Woman can fly, but Kenan's um, flight powers haven't returned yet, so Daylon is having to carry Kenan, and he's saying this is humiliating. So they fly over to the uh, Shanghai Ocean University, and they land, and as they're flying, uh, she says, I've been thinking your invulnerability and super strength return after Sunbeam hit you with a cannon that generates solar energy. So I proposed a theory last issue of this book that we covered that Kenan's powers may be tied to his subconscious, that the more he acts like a jerk, the less they work, the more heroic they act, he acts, the more they work. And he had mustered his willpower and his courage to, to rip the visor off that Dr. Omen had stuck on him that caused him pain whenever he tried to try to remove it so he could go save Wiley's daughter. Um, and that maybe his act of courage is what, um, is what inspired Dr. Omen to recruit him in the first place. Could be maybe she knows something about the internal mechanism of the powers. Now this contradicts that, but again, this is just a theory on by she's part. So we don't know. I could still be right. We'll, we'll find out. So they go in to the university, they go to his lab and the professor is there waiting for us for them. And he says, uh, I've heard what you, you slaves of the West, try to do to Wei Li. And they try to explain, no, 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 you've got us confused with somebody else. We're trying to hear, we're here to help. And he says, I'm ready, I've prepared. And he presses a button and this Hydra looking uh, snake dragon monster bursts out of a massive aquarium on the side of the wall. And, uh, <laughs> And Kenan says, a giant sea monster, shouldn't we call the Aquaman of China? And Daylon says, there is no Aquaman of China. Kenan says, why not? And Baishi says, Dr. Omen didn't see the point. So a little bit of Aquaman shade in the book here. I feel so bad for Aquaman. I like Aquaman for the most part. Um, I actually consider Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, Hot Girl, um, Kendra, and Aquaman to be more of a tetralogy than I do Batman, Wonder Woman, and and Superman to be the Trinity. Um, so, but I always, you know, but I do always chuckle whenever I see someone throwing a little Aquaman shade. But Daylon says she knows this creature. It's called Xiang Lu, and it's older than civilization. Toxic acid flows through its veins. Whatever you do, don't make it bleed. Um, outside on the roof, we see Black Condor and a woman named Ghost Woman. Um, now, Black Condor, he kind of looks, he's kind of got some serious um, Winter Soldier vibes going on. So he wears this uh, bluish gray and black costume, and he is his arms are covered in that kind of metallic sheath-like what um, like Colossus's armor looks like or Cable's arm 
or um, Winter Soldier's arm looks like. And then he has on a very Winter Soldier-like mask. Um, but then he has a mohawk, and he has these kind of like this, this very anime manga looking jetpack thing and then ghost woman she has a very understated costume it's all in gray and these goggles and then there's a guy standing between them and he looks like he's a little overweight and he is wearing a a black probably leather overcoat with with like metal epaulette shoulder things and over like orange scale dragon-like armor and a kind of dragon-like helmet and the guy in the dragon armor says the justice league of china will provide us the perfect distraction let's move so inside the facility um the justice league of china is fighting the serpent creature uh one of the heads reaches out to attack Daylan, but kenan grabs these kind of antenna that's coming off its head to pull it back and the antenna breaks off and it spews acid and the acid lands on his foot and burns through his boot and he says well it's a good thing i've got invulnerability but it still hurt like crazy but then they look up and the antenna which is right above its eye is bleeding acid into its eye and kenan thinks that its eye can't handle its own blood and so he smacks the head with the with the ripped off antenna and blinds its other eye and then you know he says okay you know we got to do this and uh and by she's like i can't believe i'm saying this but we need to follow the dummy's lead so he uses a battering to slash another head's antenna and wonder woman uses her her um her glaive to slash another one and eventually they have the creature beaten by blinding it with its own acid and but as they turn around the three guys from the roof have taken the professor hostage and uh, blue condor is there he says do you remember me kong kenan you want to know how i fly by controlling the air currents around me i can get any air to obey my will including the air in your lungs and um he starts to choke and he falls down and by she says who are you people and the guy in the armor and the overcoat says i am flying dragon general and we are the freedom fighters of china you will allow us free passage justice league or superman dies so again i am assuming that these are all actually bad guys um I kind of don't want Blue Condor to be a bad guy because he looks so cool. <laughs> I'm sure he is. Um, but yeah, this is such a fun issue. This is such a fun series in general. I love Gene's writing. Um, his dialogue is so good. Between this series and Superman Smashes the Clan and his work on Batman Superman, birth, both during the two-part uh, Future State uh, or I should say during the future state two-parter and during, and in the, the arc of the ongoing Batman Superman series after future, excuse me, after future state, his writing is phenomenal. I, I don't love Bogdanovich's art. Um, it's, it's good. There's no question about it. And, oh, okay. I should back up. I do like his art. He, his art, he's able to, as as cool as he's able to make things look, he's also able to make things look kind of goofy. 
which fit the tone of the book very well. I just don't like some some comments that Bogdanovich has made on social media. But you know, it's been a while that he since he's made those. That I don't know. Uh, whenever I see his name, I'm like, eh. But I I admit he does he does a good job, and I really like the colors on this. And I am intrigued by the mystery of everything that's going on. I want to know what the what the deal is with the octagon. Um, I did notice that when they go to the crab shell, the prison, the guards that are there also have octagonal shapes on the backs of their uniforms. Um, I, I assume they have Chinese um, symbols inside the octagons that they don't show them very well. But so... Um, I'm guessing maybe just the octagon is the symbol that has something to do with the Ministry of Self-Reliance. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to find out. I'm looking forward to finding out what the deal is with Kenan's powers and why they keep cutting in and out. And yeah, I, I, I hate that this series only came out once a month because I would like to talk about it as much as I'm talking about... Um, the, the main Superman title in action comics. And I wish I could just plug this into the spot that, uh, that justice league is going to make in the reading rotation, but I will talk about it as often as it comes up. And so that does it for new Superman number three. So I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 20 of the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed hearing about these stories as much as I enjoyed talking about, well, about two of them. <laughs> um, if, uh, if you're enjoying the show and you'd like to support it financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. Um, you can also give me a five-star review wherever you listen to the show that helps me out and bumps me up in the algorithm of, uh, of, uh, search engine optimization. You can follow me on Twitter at about Superman, where I tweet about Superman very often. Um, I've also been, uh, whenever it comes up in my just personal reading rotation, I tend to tweet about the 90s reboot Legion of Superheroes. Um, I've also been tweeting about Wonder Woman and Aquaman a lot more recently as well. But of course, Superman is and always will be the main focus of my Twitter account. Now, I, I, I hate to do this right after I started the weekly rotation, but there is a decent chance that the next episode after this one, the one that is scheduled to come out on the 11th of April, I may have to skip that week. Um, I'm recording this segment right now on Friday the 1st. The next like five days are going to be wide open, busy for me. Um, so, and... I will try to squeeze in the next episode of the regular show on what little time I have that week, but I also do need to work on the Patreon. So if an episode doesn't come out the 11th, I do apologize. But uh, the next time uh, we talk about 
the Rebirth era. Let's see what's going to come up in the rotation. So let me go back to my list here. <laughs> Very professional, I know. And the DC app takes a long time sometimes. Um, let's see. What have we got? Okay, so we've got Superman number seven, which, uh, which is a really fun issue. I think this is one of the issues that just made me fall in love with Superman as a character in general. Jorge Jimenez is the guest penciler on that issue, and I love it. And we will also be adding in the last book to the rotation, the last regular book to the rotation that we're going to be adding in for some time, which is Trinity number one. And both of those books came out September 21st, 2016. So that's going to be a really fun episode. I'm looking forward to that a lot. Um, whether I do Rebirth next episode or whether I do current comics next episode just depends on what's going to come out between now and the next time I get a chance to record. Um, I'm hoping to be able to talk about some Son of Kal-El. So that'll be fun if I get a chance to do that. But either way, I will be back in a relatively short amount of time. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.